Hello, and welcome back to the Upper Bowl GM Podcast. As always, it is your host, Nick Sararis. After my uh, cold-induced hiatus, we are back. We Regular daily episodes are... Uh, we're up and at them. Yesterday, the Thursday episode, we had my good friend Chris Schweitzer on to preview the Major League Baseball season. As of this recording, the Mets and Nationals are supposed to start playing their baseball game, their opening day game, in about 10 minutes. The Rangers and Penguins game is midway through the second period. Today's episode, we're going around the horn in the in the niche sports. Uh, and no disrespect, uh, hockey hockey is my probably my favorite sport, and hockey is a niche sport. But we're going to touch on the Masters. We're going to touch on Liverpool and Man City playing one of the biggest regular season Premier League matches of all time. Formula One's return to Australia. That's Saturday night into Sunday morning. And NASCAR racing at Martinsville. Quick hits, not going to go too, too long. Each segment be five to eight minutes. Nothing too crazy on today's episode. Like I've always, been, like I've been saying since we started back in the new year, when I don't have a guest, I will try to keep the episodes to 35 minutes or less to not drone on and on. Because when I'm doing episodes like this, it's to give you information, to help you be a little bit more informed, learn something that you might not know about sports you're not as familiar with. But before we get to today's show, I do have to remind everyone to help support the show. So number one, please subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcast. Number two, if you are using Apple or Spotify, please, please, please leave the show a review. If you are using Apple Podcasts, you've hit that subscribe button in the top right corner. Then you're going to scroll past a couple of recent episodes. There's going to be five clear purple stars. You hit the one furthest to the right. That's a five-star review. Underneath that is a button with purple letters that says write a review. Leave a few words. Now, if you're using Spotify, you have to listen to a few episodes before you can leave a review. But once you've done that, please leave a five-star review. Please leave your content creators feedback, whatever platform you enjoy their stuff on, whether it be YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, wherever you're consuming people's content, likes, engagement, comments, anything like that, that helps content creators out immensely. Yeah, that'll just about do it for the preamble for today's show. Uh, we're going to be moving fast, cover a lot of bases. I'll see you guys on the other side of the drop. And uh, Tigers won under par. We will jump on into it. Like I said, first topic on today's show, we're going to be talking about the Masters. 86th Masters Tournament at Augusta National in Georgia. It is the pinnacle of old white man sports. Um, I don't know how many people have watched Bomani Jones' talk show on HBO, but he did an entire segment in the B Block about the Masters, and it's really kind of fucked up racist history. The Masters holds a weird place in the American sport consciousness because so many of the people who cover sports, especially the personalities you see on television, they're invested in golf, so they've got a vested interest in golf being important because then they get to go. If you see the people who are doing their hits from Augusta, those are people who love golf and they're getting to do their job while covering Augusta, while covering them. This is the tournament that people, I'd say, in America care about the most. Uh, the U.S open at certain venues when it's at Torrey Pines when it's at Wingfoot when it's at Pebble Beach that matters a little bit more the British open when it's at St. Andrews matters matters it, British open always matters the four majors matter but Augusta there's something romantic about the sa- it being the same course every single year um 
obviously there have been modifications over time after tiger kind of bodied it in the late 90s they grew some trees out to be a little bit taller so you couldn't shoot over the trees you had to go around them and you couldn't just bomb your way through the course but for all intents and purposes it's the same course every single year you get the iconic green jacket um the thing that people don't realize that I learned from watching the Bomani Jones segment is if you win the Masters, that does not make you a member at Augusta National. Augusta National is the most exclusive club, maybe in all of sports. They are very private. They don't they refuse to publicly reveal just how many members there are, not even who's a member. But there's only a handful, uh, I believe somewhere between two and three hundred members. Ooh, that was a nice goal, Panarin. They caught Yari out of position. But yeah, the, there's only two to three hundred members. It's really hard to get invited. You have to be approved by the people who are already in. It's not like uh, your friend can just refer you. There's a board and they confer if you're a, if you are worthy of being a member. And there's all this corny shit where if you ask to become a member that's conduct unbecoming of a member but enough of the background and this weekend is going to be dominated by tiger woods just being in the tournament everybody knows he was in that really bad car accident last year there was a lot of conjecture about whether he would ever be able to play professional golf again and i'll be honest with you when i woke up thursday morning and i saw tiger in that neon purplish polo i got a little giddy Tiger's one of those guys that transcends sport where I'm not a huge golf guy. I'll watch a few of the majors. I'll watch some pro-ams. I'll watch the Ryder Cup. The Ryder Cup is probably my favorite golf event in all honesty, but I I was excited to see Tiger on the course today and just knowing everything it took for him just to be able to play. And then he's one under after Thursday, got a decent chance of making the cut, which would be very, very fun. I mean, I know somewhere Jim Nance is it's sitting in the middle of a ring of candles trying to manifest Tiger making the cut and being in contention on Sunday because Tiger winning the Masters in 2019 is one of those moments I will remember for my entire life. Like, if I close my eyes and think about it, I can picture sitting in my dorm room as a college senior with three weeks left in the semester, just wearing basketball shorts, no no shirt on, drinking Bud Lights, screaming at the TV every single drive, hoping Tiger would... And then Tiger did it. And he got to have that moment where he got to walk off after the 18th hole and hug his kids up by the TV tower, recreate the picture he had with his dad. Tiger's one of those guys it's hard not to root for. I, I know the, the the American sports media and media in general was very much over him 10, 15 years ago when he had the, the very, very ugly public falling out with his wife where he was he was cheating on her the thanksgiving eve incident where he got into the car accident that night he had been pulled over for driving under the influence of opioids a couple of years ago painkillers and it's hard not to root for tiger man he has been through so much shit in the course of his professional career and for him to still just want to play that is a testament to his will and that's the thing when you think about tiger the th- it's weird, because when I think about Tiger, aside from the 2019 Masters, I always think of the 2008 U.S. Open, where he was on one leg, he forced the playoff on the Saturday, on the Sunday, and then him and Rocco Mediate played an 18-hole playoff on Monday, and I skipped school in fifth grade as a fifth grader. I skipped school to watch the 18-hole playoff, and that is something I will be bragging about the rest of my life. So, of the guys out there at Augusta this weekend. 
I threw $5 on Colin Morikawa just because I felt like he had decent value. I think it was like 18, 19 to 1, something like that. Uh, he's a good golfer. He's won a U.S. Open. He's hung around a couple of times. We'll see. Golf is very hard to bet. Uh, it's a big field when you have 91 competitors and probably 15 or 20 or so have a legitimate chance of winning. Guys I'm rooting for, I'd like to see Rory. I'd like to see Tommy Fleetwood. If Brooks get could get his shit together, I would love a Brooks green jacket. That golf, I consume in just a I like the sport kind of way. Where I don't really have a favorite golfer. Like yeah, if you ask me, I would say Tiger. But there are so many guys I enjoy watching. Like Ricky Fowler, I've always enjoyed. Bubba Watson has had, but yeah, Bubba Watson has had a couple of really exciting moments, like the U.S. Open. Golf, I'm just here for the vibes. The Masters is one of those things where being so invested in sports media, I've kind of passively consumed golf for quite a while. And lo and behold, I actually kind of enjoy it now. Like, I spent the entirety of my Thursday watching golf. I plan to do it on Friday. And most of this weekend will be spent with golf on one of the TVs. I hope Tiger makes the cut. I would. I don't even need Tiger to be in contention. He could be five off the lead. I just want Tiger playing on Sunday and having that crowd going apeshit for every single shot he attempts. That was the thing that was really cool for me today on Thursday morning was him stepping up to the tee box, getting announced, and just the throng of people. It was 10, 11 people deep. Looking, it looked like there was a, it looked like a mosh pit around the ropes to where the tee box was. It looked like a general admission area for a concert, how densely crowded it was outside the first hole because Tiger was teeing off. Tiger is somebody who captivates the American sports consciousness in a way that very few athletes ever have, and it's why it's why it's so exciting to see him playing out there. And yes, I've largely focused on that because that's the striving storyline, and I'll be honest, that's what I care about. Uh... Tiger's not going to be able to play the way he used to. We all know that. He's not going to be able to hit those bombing drives anymore. He's going to have to have a little bit more finesse. He's going to have to lay up a little bit more, take a little bit more passive approach shots, and then try lay up, make easy putts. I mean, there was that one putt he had, I believe it was on the fifth hole on Thursday, that rimmed out where if he would have hit that, he would have been one under then. He had a couple bogeys, but he managed to stay above, managed to stay under for the day. I would love Tiger to win. Tiger's not winning. Somebody in that Justin Rose, Dustin Johnson, someone in that mix is going to make something happen. I would like it to be Colin Morikawa so I could win a couple bucks, but I'm not going to lose any sleep. The Masters is a spectacle for me. It's not really about the ooh and the ah. It's the, I just want to watch some golf. And the Masters, I know the course. That, that's one of the things where you watch it every single year. You get a feel for which holes are difficult, which ones aren't. You get a feel for who plays Augusta well. And that's something that's interesting about the Masters is this is a course that favors institutional knowledge, that if you play the course consistently, it will get easier for you with time because you'll have reference points to draw from. This is what I always talk about in other sports where it's the more experienced you are, the more the more situations you have to mentally pull from to know what you need to do. At Augusta, it's the same course, so you know what you need to do based on what you've done in the past. So, next up on the docket, this is your appetizer for the Sunday Masters, Sunday at the Masters. You get to watch Manchester City and Liverpool play the most meaningful regular season Premier League match in four years. 
City, Manchester City is one point ahead of Liverpool going into Sunday's matchup. Both teams have six league games remaining. They are both still alive in the FA Cup and in the Champions League. Both took leads in their Champions League first leg matches on Tuesday. This is going to be... I am going to go out on a limb and say this is going to be the best football match of the calendar year. And I know I'm saying that in a World Cup season, a World Cup year. These are the two best club teams in all of Europe. Uh, There's not really any hesitation in my mind in saying that. I know there's a little bit of buzz. Bayern is not the same team they used to be. They are not the team that won the Champions League two years ago. Real Madrid is okay. They're, They're not what they were with Ronaldo, with Bale, with Benzema, with Sergio Ramos. PSG, Paris Saint-Germain, they're out of the Champions League already. They have one of the most decorated lineups that has ever been assembled in club football, and they fizzled out very early in the Champions League. Liverpool and City, these are the two best clubs in all of club football. So, since the 2018 season, start of the 2018-2019 season, Manchester City has accumulated 338 league points. You get three points for a win and one point for a draw, zero points for a loss. Liverpool has accumulated 337 points in that same period. Jurgen Klopp, the Liverpool manager, Pep Guardiola, the Manchester City manager, these are easily the two best managers in club football. And these are... These are the two... I will say, era-defining teams, at least in the Premier League. If you want to say the Galacticos-Real Madrid teams earlier this decade that won Champions Leagues under Zidane, that the crazy team that won in, what was that, 2014 when they beat Atletico Madrid, when they had Angel Di Maria and Mesut Ozil, and just one of the most loaded teams that's ever been assembled. If you want to say that team is the defining team of the decade, I won't argue with you. This is a subjective conversation, but... For my money, City and Liverpool are the two t- clubs that define this period of, of club football in Europe. A couple of reasons. Number one, these are the two approaches you can have to be competitive. You can have legitimate oil state money. You can be a state, a nation state's public relations arm, like Manchester City is, where no matter what, they will always have more money to spend on transfers, more money to spend on talent development. They will always go above and beyond because Manchester City's success is a public relations mechanism for a government. They are not going to have the same restrictions that one or two or a conglomerate owning a club like Fenway Sports Group, which owns Liverpool, is going to be able to do. They're going to have unlimited resources. And Manchester City has legitimately two squads worth of players who could start for them. That is how deep their team is. They have an abundance of talent that is capable of performing at an extremely high level. They have integrated newer guys like Phil Foden, who's come on in the last couple of years and really kind of found a spot for himself in that group and as a replacement for David Silva, who moved on as he got older. But then you have what Liverpool's done. And yes, I am a Liverpool supporter. I am going to give you the Liverpool perspective. 
What Liverpool does is infinitely more impressive than what City does. Any schmuck can spend a bazillion dollars in the transfer market getting young players from other leagues and trying to throw them into a good into a good club. And yes, I do understand a lot of what makes City effective as a club is because Pep Guardiola is such a good manager, and I don't discredit him for that. I think what Klopp does at Liverpool is infinitely more difficult because he actually has to make his resources count. He cannot just make a player disappear if they don't play well. He cannot just freeze somebody out on the bench. Liverpool does not have those resources. When you think about the players that make Liverpool who they are, you think about Mohamed Salah, $36 million from Roma. You think about Sadio Mane, less than $20 million. You think about Roberto Firmino, less than $20 million. You think about... You think about this Liverpool club... The most expensive players in their lineup, Virgil van Dijk, undisputedly the best center back in the world, so that transfer fee of $75 million, absolutely worth it. You do that 100 times out of 100 if you're Liverpool, and adding van Dijk is what took Liverpool from a competitive team to a legitimate contender in any competition, because the way van Dijk orchestrates that club from the back when they have possession is un... I will dare say unrivaled in club football the way he orchestrates out of the back because when Liverpool is at their best they have Van Dyke orchestrating they have Robertson and um Trent Alexander-Arnold going forward those are their fullbacks the left and right backs those guys going forward and essentially you're playing with a five-man Midfield And when Liverpool is pressing high, really putting pressure on the other team and pushing up, you're going to have Robertson, you're going to have Alexander-Arnold pressing up and whipping crosses into the box. And now that Liverpool has co- has reinforced their team, they've brought in Diego Jota, they've brought in Diaz, they've brought in Kanate, they finally have gotten something out of Tiago. And I'll be fair. It's taken the better part of a year and a half for Tiago to find his place in the Liverpool lineup. I I was skeptical of the signing at the time because he didn't really fit. Liverpool is a high-pressing, up-tempo, aggressive style of football. And Tiago is a maestro. He's going to slow the game down and try and take advantage of something he sees because he's such a good ball handler and distributor. And now he's kind of found where he needs to be in that. So, this is a legacy moment here. Last year, City ran away with the league title. Liverpool decimated by injuries. Van Dijk, their best player, being out the entire season, most of the season, with a torn MCL. Very difficult to overcome. Liverpool was playing Jordan Henderson at center back at points last year because of how few they had. They ended up having to go and buy into buy two center backs at the transfer window last year. I had my friend Blake Crash on right after they made those transactions because Liverpool was trying to play their way into that fourth Champions League spot, which they ended up doing, and they are very much alive in the Champions League, and there is an outside chance that City could play Liverpool in the Champions League final in a couple of months as well. So, this is this is a legacy game right here. If Klopp and Liverpool can do this one more time, one more time, really assert themselves as the true mono mono equal to Man City. And City's won three of the last four league titles. 
They've yet to win a Champions League. Liverpool won their first league title in 40 years in the pandemic year in 2019-2020. They didn't really get to celebrate it fully because they weren't allowed to have a parade. They weren't allowed to have supporters at the uh, trophy presentation. They've won a Club World Cup, which not on the same caliber as a Champions League win or a Premier League title, but still a trophy under Klopp. And you heard me say it, 338 points to 337 points over the last four years. But those points have been accumulated very differently. Um, 2020, the pandemic year, Liverpool ran away with the league. Last year, City ran away with the league. And then the year prior, the last time these two clubs met in one of these types of winner-take-all games, City ended up winning 2-1, to one, and that was the game that derailed Liverpool's uh, title aspirations, even though they did go on to win the Champions League that year. This is what it's all about in club football. If Liverpool can do this, and don't get me wrong, I am nervous as all hell for this game because City is such a talented club. They have some of the best footballers in the entire world. Kevin De Bruyne, anytime he has the ball at his feet, terrifies me. It's very, very stressful. Anytime City has possession and they're coming back against Liverpool, I'm not looking forward to Sunday's game as a supporter because I'm too invested in this. I need Liverpool to win this game. And now, I had this discussion with one of my Manchester City supporting friends two weekends ago when I was at his house, and I said... Rob, would you trade winning the Champions League this year if we won the Premier League this year? And he unequivocally answered yes, no question in his mind, because for City, winning the Champions League has been, it's been the unattainable, it's been the glass ceiling for them for a number of years now, where they haven't been able to win those kinds of games. And the thing about Champions League is, it's not about consistency, Champions League is about who can get right at the right time. Champions League is about one or two legs of a match. Premier League is about consistency. City has the most talent. They can consistently be the best team. Liverpool have to go above their talent base to compete with City. I am excited for this game. I am nervous for this game. I really, really really fucking hope Liverpool wins this game. I say it now, I would willingly concede, I would willingly concede winning the Champions League, the whole thing, if it meant Liverpool could win the league again for the second time in three years. That is something that means a lot to me as a Liverpool supporter because they have had their moments. They have won six Champions Leagues in the club's history. They have been... Very good in that competition in their history. The rarity and the difficulty of winning the Premier League title is not lost on me. It takes so much to go right to have a good result over the course of 40 weeks that is a Premier League season. Um, I would like to say I think Liverpool is going to win on Sunday. I just hope it's not a draw. A draw would be such a kick in the dick. Because then it would come down to a tiebreaker. Because both of these clubs still have five club games remaining after this Sunday. But both are going to be favorites in all of their remaining games. Liverpool does have to play Manchester United towards the end of the season. Which will be a little bit more difficult than the other games they have remaining. But I'm excited. 
I'm very fucking excited for Liverpool City. This is what you get up for as a sports fan. The two best teams going at it. And this is a case that we talked about this on yesterday's show in, in regards to the Mets and the Braves of if you want to be the man, you've got to beat the man. And right now, Man City is the man. If Liverpool wins this game, Liverpool wins their out the rest of the season, they win another Prem, I think you can firmly, firmly say Liverpool are equals with City. And... That'll just about do it for the soccer portion. I know I rambled on and on there, but this is this is what you get up for in the morning as a sports fan. This is the kind of shit you dream about. And because there aren't playoffs in the Premier League like there are in American sports, these kinds of games have so much more weight on them. So, next. F1 in Australia. Uh, F1's been kind of a mess so far to start the season. They changed the regulations for what the car is allowed and not allowed to have on it, so... There are a lot of things to unpack. I'm not going to go too deeply into this, but Ferrari, yes, the Fer- Ferrari, yeah, you know, like the car manufacturer is firmly back in the mix as the best, one of the best, if not the best car manufacturers after three straight years of kind of being ass. Uh, Ferrari got caught cheating three years ago. It, something with the way their fuel tank processed gasoline made it against the regulations they had. Ferrari got caught cheating, and they've been a mess more or less for the last three seasons. They're right there. Uh, Charles Leclerc of Montenegro, yes, I know that off the top of my head, has won two of the three races so far. They have been very good. Red Bull, Max Verstappen won the one race that Leclerc has not. Verstappen probably would have won the first race of the season if he did not have an equipment failure in his car. Very, very impressed to see another team firmly in that mix, Ferrari. Mercedes, yes, Mercedes. You know, the team that Lewis Hamilton drives for and now George Russell drives for. They've been very mediocre to start the season. It is not, their car is not very fast in a straight line, which is a departure from years past. That has kind of been Mercedes' thing. Red Bull has always been the straight line speed team, but City's had a little bit better hit City. Mercedes has had better handling in and out of the corners. So there's give and take. You've got to optimize your car for what it is. But Lewis Hamilton didn't make it out of Q1 last last race, the last qualifying session when they were in um, Saudi Arabia. That that was bad. Uh, he finished 10th in that race. That's the lowest Lewis has finished in a long time. Uh, Mercedes got a lot of things to figure out. They have not looked great so far to start the season. I imagine that with time they will get closer to the pace and be competitive, but they're going to have a lot of ground to make up in the constructors and in the drivers for that matter, especially if Leclerc keeps racking up these podium finishes and accumulating so many points. It's it's really going to be spicy here. Uh, the other team I want to touch on real quick here is McLaren, Daniel Ricciardo, Lando Norris. They have been very, very bad, both of them, to start the season. And it's kind of confusing because McLaren was really good last year. McLaren finished third in the Constructors' Championship last year. Of the 10 teams in Formula 1, McLaren finished third behind Mercedes and Red Bull. That was pretty freaking impressive. I, I cannot lie. It was pretty impressive what McLaren did last year, but... This year, they've been abysmal to start. And I know there's new regulations. The cars, the teams need time to adjust with the cars and figure out what they need it to be, what the driver needs the car to be like for them to drive it fast. It'll take some time for the other teams who are off of the pace right now to get it together. 
Formula One is returning to Australia for the first time since 2019. Uh, they were there in 2020. Australia used to be the first race of the season. They would start in Australia. They would go through Asia. Then they would come to Europe, North America, and then finish the season in the Middle East. Now, they've kind of done a smorgasbord where they start in the Middle East. They're going to Australia. Then they're going to do their American swing soon. Australia... Kind of a boring track, just going to be flat out honest with you. Uh, not a lot of opportunities to pass. They've modified the track a little bit since the last time they've raced there. They've removed some chicanes, so more straight lines instead of going around bends. They've added an additional DRS zone, so the drag reduction system where they get to juice the cars a little bit when you're within one second of the car in front of you. You press a little button and the flaps on your rear wing, so you know that thing that's dangling off the top of the back of the car? how it's solid in the DRS zones when they're eligible to they press a button and the flaps go down so it's open and there's less resistance and the car can go faster adds about 8 to 15 miles an hour of speed in a straight line opportunities to pass will be reliant largely on those DRS zones I don't have high expectations for Australia it's never really been a spicy track um I'm curious to see if Mercedes can kind of get back into the mix here. I'm not expecting them to push for podiums, but closer to the podium, at least. You can't have Lewis in 10th. you got to get Lewis somewhere closer to 7th, 6th. I want to see tangible progress from Mercedes. I want to see if Ferrari is actually going to keep doing this or if they just kind of got out of the gate fast and Red Bull is just going to overtake them as the season goes along. Uh, that's about it for F1 race. Uh, I'm excited. Every F1 race is fun. There's only 22 in a calendar year. It's 22 Saturdays and Sundays. It is on in the middle of the night on Saturday, which might be problematic for people on the East Coast in the United States. Um, a 1 a.m. start time is not conducive to a lot of people's lifestyles. I will probably just stay up and suck it up and be up till 3, 3.30 watching the race. Some people will wait till the next morning to watch it on demand. I'm not one of those people. I will be watching so, last thing, real quick here, I'm not going to spend too much time talking about NASCAR. We're right about at that 30-minute threshold I wanted to touch, I wanted to stay within, so only two, three minutes here. Uh, NASCAR goes to Martinsville this weekend, and then Bristol for a dirt race next week. Martinsville, a lot of bumping and banging. If you don't, if you're not very invested in NASCAR, or you've never really watched a NASCAR race before, Martinsville is not a bad place to start, because there's going to be a lot of bumping and banging, because it's a short track, it's less than a mile long, it's like .67 miles long, three quarters of a mile long, and you have, it's a straight up paperclip, that is the way I would describe it, if you look at it from the top down, it's shaped like a paperclip, so to create room to pass you are going to have to bump the guy in front of you you are going to have to make space for your car to be able to get through and as the season progresses similarly to how formula one had new regulations nascar has entirely changed their their competitiveness what nascar has done is nascar mandates the parts nascar fabricates everything they make all of the pieces for all of the equipment that all of the cars are making. The goal for NASCAR in this generation is that every team, regardless of manufacturer, whether you're driving a Ford, a Chevy, or a Toyota, you are driving the exact same car. The idea here is to make it more competitive, that it'll be more about driver skill than it is about who's got the best equipment. And 
the teams with less resources, the smaller teams that only field one or two cars as opposed to the more powerhouse teams that field four cars, be more competitive. And to some degree, we've seen it work. Trackhouse Racing, the team that Pitbull, yes, you know, Mr. Worldwide himself, Pitbull owns with Daniel Suarez and Ross Chastain. Ross Chastain won his first ever NASCAR race at Circuit of the Americas two weeks ago. And Daniel Suarez was leading at Coda. He was leading at, um, where is he leading? He was leading at Fontana. Daniel Suarez has had a very good season, and that is a team that hasn't made any noise, Trackhouse Racing. Granted, they were only a new team last year, but to see a team like that that is only a two-car team maintaining consistent top tens, that's important. Now, I will say, as the season goes along, like I just said in Formula 1, talking about Mercedes, I expect Joe Gibbs Racing, the Toyotas, to figure it out. I mean, they won last week at Richmond. Denny Hamlin won his first race of the season. Denny, one of the more consistent veteran drivers over the age of 40. He's always going to win a couple of races every single year because he just knows what it takes, man. He has got a really firm grasp on what it takes to win at this level, even if the car is very different. And I know people in NASCAR media were making a point of how he struggled out of the gate a couple of DNFs, a couple of teen finishes, a couple of t finishes in the 20s. It's early. There's so many races in the NASCAR regular season. There's a lot of time to figure out how to massage the car. And somebody as good at driving as Denny Hamlin is, is going to be able to figure that over, out over the course of a long season. Kevin Harvick, same deal. Kyle Busch, same deal. There's plenty of opportunities for these teams to figure their stuff out. Um, Martinsville is a fun bumping and banging race. It'll make for entertaining TV. You'll see maybe some crazy shit. Uh, there is the potential for some bumping and banging and then maybe some pit road shenanigans after the race where people will be pointing and acting all aggressive like, but won't actually fight, which is a little disappointing. But next week we'll go a little bit more in depth when we talk about the Bristol Dirt Race because NASCAR is NASCAR is throwing anything at the wall and seeing what will stick in terms of trying to bring people in. They did the clash at the LA Coliseum, which was a pretty resounding success in terms of viewership and ticket sales. They have had pretty good attendance at every race so far this year, except for Richmond, the one this past week. Martinsville is very consistent. It's always pretty fun. I'm looking forward to it. Bristol next week is going to be a mess. Bristol was a very messy race last year. A lot of cautions. Because you got to remember, these cars are not designed to race on dirt. But NASCAR said we're going to race on dirt because we got to appeal to the old heads who love dirt racing, even though that's not what stock car racing is. First race on dirt in like 50-something years. They did it anyway, and it wasn't good racing, but it was entertaining TV. And next week will be a good barometer for whether or not it is just the novelty, the fact that they're racing on dirt, or if they can actually make that kind of racing competitive for one race a year. Okay, that will just about do it for today's show. So you got a lot of homework this weekend if you're a sports fan. So number one, we've got baseball back. Hockey and basketball are in the stretch run. I'm sure there might be a trade or two in the NFL world. I know there's rumors out there about Debo Samuel, about A.J. Brown, about D.K. Metcalf. Tyron Matthew might sign this weekend. He's been visiting with teams. He visited with the Eagles on Thursday. There's the Masters, of course. There's Liverpool City on Sunday morning, which is the biggest Premier League match in four year, three and a half, four years. F1, any time, one of the 22 Formula One weekends of the season, that is special. And then you got a good old school short track race at Martinsville. 
Wall-to-wall sports this weekend. I, for one, am, could not be happier to have three screens at my disposal. Hell, I might need a fourth screen. I should get a fourth screen and mount it on the wall over one of the other TVs. Enjoy your weekend. Enjoy all the sports. We'll be back on Monday. We'll talk about the pertinent shit that happens and maybe look ahead towards next week. Got a guest lined up for Wednesday. Going to try and get another one for some point later in the week. It's good to be back, folks. I'll see you guys on Monday.